0: Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Up North Books, a podcast that celebrates northern books, northern writers and northern publishers. Today we have an exciting episode as we are joined by Blair James, a writer and PhD student based in Salford, Manchester. We will be talking to Blair about her debut novel, Bernard and Pat, which was published on the 4th of February by Corsair, an imprint of Little Brown. We hope you enjoy. hi Blair thank you for coming on
1: hello thanks for having me
0: how are you doing at the moment
1: very good very busy yeah lockdown lockdown's kind of a godsend for me because I'm doing my PhD so just kind of slogging away at that every day I'm kind of glad that we're not allowed to do anything so
0: (laughs) you're forced to do it yeah
1: yeah god knows what I'd be doing I mean there's no FOMO at the minute so (laughs) I get to (laughs) stay in my every day
0: So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your debut novel, Bernard and Pat, is about?
1: Of course. So like I said, I'm doing a PhD at the minute and that's kind of uh, consumed my life for the past three years. Uh, My PhD is technically in creative writing, but my research is on neuroscience and psychology. And I look a lot at experimental literature. Uh, and a lot of Shakespeare actually as well. I'm a super Shakespeare nerd, so mm-hmm. love him. Um, yeah, I suppose my work is kind of that's that's mainly what I'm interested in. I do I love music, um, but it's the various topics I end up focusing on, like mental health and how people's minds work. That's that's what gets me going, uh, really. Um, and the book. Bernard and Pat. Uh, It's a novel. It's about a young girl named Catherine and her kind of daily life or fragmented daily life at her childminders. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, well, it was driven by a desire to kind of present the childhood experience and the way memory works in a kind of visual well you've read the book in a in a visual way and I'm, I'm hoping people seem to be saying that I've done that okay so yeah it comes out on Thursday we're on Tuesday now so I think there's been a lot of nice reviews already which is super exciting it's my first book so I have it's all so new and I had no idea what to expect and I still don't really <laughs> um, but yeah it's out on Thursday and well, this should already be out by then. Yeah. So.
0: Okay. yeah, so yeah. This, this episode is
1: future. probably out now. Yeah, yeah. so but go buy
0: the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll be out now. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. Out now! It must be quite intimidating bringing out a like a debut during such a unprecedented time. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is an
1: unprecedented time. I mean, I think because I've never done it before, it doesn't, I don't really know how it works anyway. I've got a great team of girls to work with, like amazing women. I love that they're all women. That I was really excited <laughs> about that. They're all great and they love the book and you know, they believe in it. Uh, I couldn't believe someone wanted to put it out full stop really, because it's a, a weird little book, I guess. But yeah, they're, they're super supportive, which is helpful. And I think people have actually started reading a lot more now, you know I think there's a lot more online stuff, so that's kind of the only way you, you market a book these days anyway so I wouldn't say it's that I mean I, I think if you asked my publisher she'd say something different but for me <laughs> for me it doesn't feel that bad yeah I, all I know lockdown is okay. <laughs>
2: That's true. I'm glad
0: it's been okay for you anyway.
2: You managed to get some work done during lockdown
0: too. Like do you think you've read more or less during lockdown?
1: I think I've read probably how it feels like thousands of books mm-hmm. since I started my PhD. So that's very intense. And I read in a much different way for my yeah. academic work, like nuts, scanning, scanning pages as quick as possible to get get the bits I need I've missed reading novels yeah I've, I've not allowed myself to read novels because it will distract me from my work but I think at the end of this month I'm going to be allowed to start reading novels again <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> that's so exciting <laughs> yeah my reading has just been dictated by the PhD really but it's stuff that I love reading I've mainly been reading science books which are super heavy going. I feel way more intelligent and (laughs) a way better writer just from keep having to read really heady science books. Yeah, so that's what I'm into, just stuff about brains and consciousness and that's basically what I've been reading. I feel a bit bad on, you know, trying to tout my book when I don't really have time to read other people's novels at the minute, but I will, I will get to them. I'll get there.
2: Doesn't look like lockdown's ending anytime soon, so yeah, we've got plenty your time. of time. On your... So <laughs> we were wondering. Obviously, the story is told um, from a child's perspective or in a child's voice. Um, what inspired you to make this creative decision, and did you find it difficult to do this?
1: Yeah. Um, well, it felt obviously this. I wanted the story to be from the child's perspective, so it felt necessary to write in the child's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I I, actually, I started writing this book in 2014 or 2015, uh, and I kind of had to put it on hold while I was doing various degrees and things. <laughs> <laughs> but my, um, my supervisor now, my PhD supervisor, she taught me back then, and I submitted some of the writing for an assignment, and she advised me to make the two voices, the, the adult and the child voice, more separate. And she, she thought that would make it more effective. But I, I felt like I felt really passionate about keeping them really not separate. You know, I wanted them yeah. one to go in and out of the other, because it's like we, we get older, but our memories don't necessarily get older. And it's more that our understanding of the memories changes. So I think when you do say, if you sit and try to remember things from your childhood, it is that strange mixture of the child's voice because it's what you were perceiving at the time, but also added layers of adding your adult logic to it. Whether it was difficult, it's strange because the child voice thing has been what everyone seems to have picked up on. and I didn't really anticipate that being the main I don't know why but you know I didn't really anticipate that being like what everyone was super into but I've been I've been asked to write an article on the child voice and do a workshop on it and I'm like I don't I don't really know what I'm talking about but I think I think when I looked back on what what I'd done to create it it was about translating the kind of events That you can remember as an adult and add your understanding of them as an adult, translating them back into the child's perception who who maybe wouldn't understand certain things that were going on with the adult logic, if you know what I mean. So it's translating them into the limits of the child's understanding. So there's a part in the book about where a limo comes onto the playground but Catherine doesn't get that it's a limo or she just thinks it's a car coming to a fancy car coming to pick her up. And that kind of thing is where, well, I, I was trying to go for tragic comedy. I don't think many people find it as I'd hoped. I <laughs> mean, I think my sense of humor is a bit off, but um, <laughs> it was having to, I think I initially wrote that and said limo and I later changed it to a big black car because yeah. it takes away the un- the understanding and kind of adds like a really tragic but also like funny because kids don't understand things you know yeah it was interesting to do and I did feel it was necessary to have it yeah yeah,
2: yeah. I thought that was really good as well because obviously the the book is quite sad in parts and like it is a sad story but the way you have that like misunderstanding of the child's perspective actually did make it quite
1: funny at times um no matter how sad kids are or the situations that they're in are it's just always funny when a kid talks about something yeah the way they confuse things or I think (laughs) I'm I just do write in a really tongue-in-cheek way I think so I think I found bits funny that perhaps other people wouldn't really care. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I did this thing where I kept putting cry cry in it and I can't remember. I and really it, like
2: that.
1: It may have been an editor or something was like maybe you should maybe you should <laughs> put this in because it like <laughs> reminds it and I'm like that, I'm I'm kind of taking the piss out of how whiny whiny kids can be but obviously. Yeah there's reasons to whine sometimes but
2: (laughs) that reminded me of that meme that's like
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't help myself but just even with I suppose really serious topics I can't really take it that seriously (laughs) yeah I hope that some of some humor has come through but I understand that it's quite a triggering these days topic it's Mm. it's not an easy read but but yeah I hope it's kind of funny. And I think the child voice does does help that.
0: I yeah. think um, the bit that I really liked about kind of using like a child's voice is that you'd really get into kind of the child's mind. And then occasionally there'd just be like an adult phrase or an adult <laughs> word that a child wouldn't know. And it'd kind of like jolt you out of it to realize that it wasn't a child. Yeah. And I really, really liked it because it just made I you a bit that's... like, oh, <laughs> step yeah, back I a little think bit.
1: That's... That's what my tutor had a bit took issue with a little bit at the beginning I think there's a world what, there's a word like what is it effulgent which just I call this I think I call a sofa effulgent My tutor uh, like, okay. or like I, I call um the brother in it um audacious or something yeah. like that mm-hmm. I know you know I've, I did de- that that's kind of my style of writing more generally. So I think it's hard because this is my first book, but I think as I write more books, my style is kind of that jarring use of words that don't really fit. Because <laughs> I say cunt in it, when I'm, it's a really whiny, whiny passage, and I use the word cunt, and I thought it's really inappropriate, but I feel like that represents me quite well <laughs> <laughs> you know, from, yeah. <laughs> but yeah yeah that that was purposeful I hope I'm glad that you liked that <laughs> yeah
0: we did so you were talking before about how kind of you're interested in the brain and memory and kind of its unreliability um, and memory is a really important theme in the whole book um, about its unreliability and fears around remembering things and not remembering things correctly um, I know that me and Beth both enjoyed the fragmented form and how that kind of represents her fragmented memories and how the novel is told in these fragments rather than like a simple linear narrative can you just tell us a bit about the process of like writing the fragmented memories how you kind of came about writing them did you write them in an order Um, and why you felt it was important to show it like this
1: that well this the fragmented style is very part part of the child voice thing I think and I wouldn't say that whenever you're writing a child character or narrator you need to write in a really experimental form or you know I think it could be done as a linear narrative but I think uh, like a child's understanding of time and tense and things like that and you know starting stories and not finishing them or forgetting things or not really understanding what's going on is to me that that the form was demanded by the material I suppose and and yeah I am I'm super interested in memory and it's it's funny I've done a lot of research on memory during my PhD but obviously I started writing this before then so I it, the research has backed up how I felt about it, which is handy. But yeah, I think it's that trying to remember... St- I don't know if many people have great memories of their childhood. Um, I, I think it's all like kind of in fits and bursts and like little movie scenes and things. So I think the form was definitely to do with that. But again, I'd also say that in my creative work, I tend to write much shorter very concise, like concentrated pieces of work anyway. I mean, in my academic work, my thesis is going on 200,000 words at the moment, which needs to to fit with the regulations of a PhD. Um, But yeah, it's funny, I just go on and on and on. It's, I mean, with academic stuff, it's all about getting it right, you know, and feeling like you know what you're talking about. Whereas with creative work, I feel much freer to, you know, I feel free to to not give it all away, you know. And yeah. I like the idea of someone someone interpreting it in their own way. The, the whole rule of showing rather than telling, but I totally don't do that because <laughs> I think, yeah, I just write in quite concentrated little bits. And I think it was partially because of the child voice thing and the memory thing. I don't really know how to pre- to present memory or the idea of memory other than in a kind of fractured way. But yeah, I think again, as with the chopping and changing, I think it's, it's part of my kind of style, creatively anyway, is to write shorter bits. The same tutor compared me to Hemingway once because of that. And, I was like, okay, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> just because of the, you know, sparseness of it, I think. Yeah. I'm I'm never going to be, I'm not saying I don't like writing like this because I do, but I'm never going to be one of those persons who writes like long rolling, just lavish mm-hmm. descriptive sentences. I, I mean, I'm really jealous when I read other people's writing like that, but yeah. Uh, it's very very like stunted I'd say my style
2: yeah I definitely think the fracturing I immediately saw that as like a solid creative decision in terms of the memory because like you said that's how memory is so yeah I thought that was really cool
1: well the the, I, I think you asked something about how I chose to order the passages as well that was kind of um nothing really to do with thinking how you would remember them it was more I don't want to talk about this character here and then talk about them again right next to it and it's very it was way more systematic than but then the layout on the page I was really a stickler about I mean my publisher probably wanted to kill me uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) because it's laid out like every page is laid out specifically and I ended up having to give them like line by line (laughs) instructions they (laughs) probably hang themselves but <laughs> hey aesthetic over everything
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm looking you know. at the book now and it's like it they all the kind of title of each little chapter yeah. like starts in different places on the yeah. page
1: that was line by line instruction <laughs> 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 I can believe it that's yeah. what I spend my time doing
2: <laughs>
1: so we've mentioned
2: that you were compared to Hemingway one but one. I really regret um, it. <laughs> I've also seen your work compared to Nabokov in either um, reviews or in the publicity um Same. so are there any books or writers that have actually influenced your work either in its forms or
1: themes well let's just say Nabokov is like my guy so <laughs> okay that's good <laughs> that was like I just didn't even know what to think. I was like, I don't even know what you could mean because I don't think <laughs> it is like that at all. <laughs> but um, Nabokov is one of my favourites. Um, it's funny, with this specific book, nothing, no, no writers really inspired me with the form or anything. I think it's more, I'm inspired by writers that I like a lot, gen- gen- generally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think with this book because it's such a, a weird, a weird kind of book about, you know, childhood and things. I, I I can't say that there are any books that made me think I want to write a book like that. But but generally Nabokov is probably number one. Well, I'd say Nabokov and Shakespeare are number one together. Shakespeare probably big is combo. not <laughs> Shakespeare obviously big boots to fill. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, but then I think I'm just gonna see what I've written down because I actually wrote some down. I wrote some down <laughs> so that I would remember. I've written Gross Old Men. Um, so my favourite writers are like Bukowski, Vonnegut, again Leonard Cohen's novels that I didn't even know he'd written novels until recently and I ordered them both and they're amazing um that's my style more, more more generally when I write not in the child's voice
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's kind of like a gross old man um, <laughs> I guess Nabokov is a gross old man as
2: well I feel like that should definitely be your new Twitter bio gross old man.
1: right writes like a gross
2: old man
1: <laughs> absolutely um yeah I thought you meant like my name or something gross old man um but other than that um Sylvia Plath The Bell Jar was like a big one for me because I look I look I'm not really that into poetry I used to be into poetry massively when I was a kid and I used to write poems all the time really <laughs> I got to get into like children's anthologies and I'm pretty oh. sure they only bring them out to charge the parents a fortune <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who the hell else would buy it I wrote a poem about like a jaguar or something as if I had the experience of that like the car or the cat like a jaguar it was like stalking through the night oh. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but Sylvia Plath is I really like her poetry and but the bell jar yeah I think it's like probably one of the best books I remember reading that people the people in the book that she'd written about like couldn't speak to each other anymore because she completely exposed them I mean <laughs> but yeah and then science wise which is all I read now uh, Antonio Damasio is the coolest guy in the world he is the smartest guy in the world and he's a really good writer a lot of these science books or social science books are just like really repetitive and re- but that's kind of in that field that's kind of what you have to do like keep repeating the point it's probably what I've done in my thesis so far. But Damasio is a really, really good nonfiction writer, as well as being a world renowned neuroscientist. So check out Damasio, I'd say. <laughs> I'll add it to the list. Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, we have often talked about the lack of Northern representation in the publishing world on the podcast. Uh, we were wondering what your experience has been as a writer from the north and why you think it's important that we see more northern writers emerge onto the publishing scene.
1: I was thinking about this the other day I don't know that I really think of myself as a northern writer even though I am one I, and I had quite a an, probably annoyingly easy time because my agent picked me up pretty quickly and, so she sorted out you know I didn't have a hard of time breaking through as it as it was but I think obviously living in London that is where everything is going on that's where I was having to go to London for meetings well you know I didn't have to but I felt like you want to be part of it and you can't really be part of it because all the publishing stuff is down there and yeah I don't know I guess I think probably a lot more London writers get chosen are the chosen ones I think I have this more when I like introduce myself to someone not as a writer but just as a person if someone asks me where I'm from and I say Salford they're like oh yeah well really it's like you're expected to be like gritty and tough and you know I don't know I feel like especially as an academic sometimes I feel a little bit like, rough, the yeah, accent, or whatever. I just feel like people kind of have an impression of you. I saw, I saw this really funny thing on Twitter the other week of this girl going, like, whenever a northern character is in a film, oh, yeah, like, I've been working down the map. Like, <laughs> we sent each thing. other, <laughs> yeah, and it's hilarious and it is true because, especially in like period dramas, it's like. Oh, like it's like northern people have never heard of anything, or like (laughs) they're talking about the big city lights in London. (laughs) That's funny. I mean, are we talking about it's the north and south divide, or the working class middle class divide? Because I think it's often Northerners are often lumped in as just all being working class. I mean, I I identify as working class because I come from a working class family. But I am now an academic or, you know, an, a writer. It's like, do I throw away my working class identity? You know, it's difficult. It's difficult. I feel, especially in academic circles, you end up feeling, feeling a bit like phony or something. I remember thinking I've just felt a bit like the little rough one <laughs> in <the laughs> academic circles. Another 25 yeah. My mum would kill me if she knew I was saying this. She hates it when I refer to myself as bro. Oh, my mum does <laughs> as
2: well. Yeah. My mum think... doesn't even think she's working class. I'm like, mum. Oh, my mum doesn't. Mum, yeah. you couldn't get more working class. Yeah. She's like, no, I'm at
1: least middle class. <laughs> it's like it's, it's some people want... I read something again the other day that was like people... Some guy getting angry that people claimed to be working class when they weren't so that it seemed more like a rise to rise from the ashes or whatever moment for them but I mean I think it is about more like your values and your identity so my mum were you know came from a family of workers and then she got a professional job and like became you know raised money raised enough money to look after her family and stuff and I'm now doing middle-class things like getting an education, (laughs) if you believe it, um, and writing books, but I don't know, you meant to just throw away your working class values? I've been raised to work hard and to not take anything off anyone, you know those kind of like that working class pride um, has been drilled into me massively. I don't even I feel like we're talking about an entirely different topic it is
2: true though we have spoken about this on the podcast before as well um that there's definitely like a conflation with being northern and working class and I think like even we sometimes get lost in when we're talking about representation Mm. um I suppose like we obviously want more regional representation because a lot of it is very London centric but at the same time like, we're both working class, and when you're Northern and working class, it's, like, a, the com, the ultimate combo of how
1: not to get published. So, yeah, I think it's, well, it's just, like I said, usually for me, that that moment when I go, I'm from Salford, people going, like, oof, like, that's <laughs> shithole, you know, like... <laughs> And it is a shithole, but it's also cool, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's literally me and Beth about Blackpool. We're like, yeah. yeah, all right.
1: Only I'm allowed to call it a dumping ground. I think after the lockdown list there'll be a burst. I hope there'll be like a new renaissance with a lot of people. You know, their weird bedroom projects that they've been doing over lockdown will come out and we'll have loads of new bands and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I used to have a band. I used to play on, the, we, I used to be in the Manchester music scene and it was cool. So I'm hoping really? we'll Where are you? a new burgeoning renaissance in the <laughs> music scene. I don't think I'll go back to playing drums really badly, but yeah, that'd be exciting. I think there's always a lot of exciting art and music going on in Manchester, you know. There's, yeah, there is even recently new venues like yes I love yes I think I love yes it's so good Islington Mills still going after all these years and even Salford Uni I guess I mean I that is my university but I think maybe that's another thing as well because it's almost like I hate having to say I'm at Salford Uni it's like no one's gonna (laughs) know where the hell that is I'm like emailing American academics like Salford like, <laughs> like honestly, near Manchester all she's talking about what publishers should publish <laughs> <They> <laughs> should. <laughs> we, we got there yeah, we got that round to it
2: <laughs> so on the topic of northern publishing uh, do you have any northern book recommendations for us and our listeners
1: I have loads.
2: Okay, <laughs> this is good.
1: And these, I'm, these are all people I know. <laughs> I'm shamelessly pushing people I know, but they're all super talented as well. Love it. So I want to start really north in Glasgow. Okay. My old best friend, Jess Higgins, and her partner, Matt, run Good Press in Glasgow. I don't know if you've heard of it. An independent bookshop. And she's gorgeous and that Jess has just always been since we were 13 like the most productive person I've ever known so they're just always doing cool things so you should definitely go and visit their shop and Matt of Good Press has just started um his own new well their own new print called Very Barn. Uh, okay my friend Edwin Stevens this is
0: like look look, look. (laughs) it's fine we like the (laughs) plugs my my
1: friend Edwin Stevens has just brought out a gorgeous book called Seagulls uh he's from North Wales and then he moved to Manchester for years which is when I knew him and now he lives in Glasgow but yeah he's he's a musician as well he plays his his music thing is called Irma Vep. he's amazing and okay. yeah, just, just brought out a new book on Barry Bond called Seagulls.
2: Seagulls, I remember. we'll remember
1: that one? Totally weird. So. <laughs> so, really weird book. So, read that. And then we can come back to Manchester uh, Pariah Press, who are a very exclusive, cool couple <laughs> of guys called Johnny Walsh and Jamie Lee. Um, They brought out um, a release of Obscenity in the Arts by Burgess. It's a Burgess lecturer, Anthony Burgess. Um, And they're bringing out a new print of Passing Time by Michel Boutot, so he's French. Okay. He's not Mancunian. But they're calling it the Great Lost Manchester Novel, which is an Ooh. exclusive. They haven't started advertising it yet. It is available for pre-order. Passing Time by Michelle Buteau. Yeah, you'll be hearing about that in the, the coming weeks, I imagine. I think they're looking to have some kind of exclusive about it.
0: But yeah, <laughs> it all it. sounds very really exclusive.
1: Manchester novel I think that's their thing you know they're very picky about what they yeah. got out
0: yeah um, that's the best yeah. thing about like small indies though you get the yeah. very best like little golden yeah. nugget that they find
1: and well it means you also you care about it a lot though and that's dangerous I think because yeah anyway he'll ha- he'll hate me for saying this much about it but yeah so that's something to look forward to that sounds really good and then I've got my friend, Joe Darlington, who's just brought out a book called Quiz Night, which is getting loads of good reviews. He's doing uh, quizzes, and obviously we've not been able to do pub quizzes over lockdown, so it was inspired by that. Uh, yeah, he, he kind of usually writes, like I'd call it magical realism, but my friend Ben Jackson, who's a wonderful photographer, is actually bringing out a book of photographs. And the working oh. title is MK Ultra at the moment. Okay. I don't know what that means. I don't know if you know the White Hotel in Manchester. Oh yeah. I've spent two two late mornings there. Sometimes I think. No, but he's there. They are kind of starting their own little press. of oh, cool. The fact of not being open because of lockdown. That's all I know about it. But they're bringing out this book of photos by Ben Jackson. And he's wonderful, he's adorable. So yeah, I think I think that's, that's it on the Northern recommendations front. But I feel like there's loads of exciting stuff going on all the time, so. Yeah,
0: you sound you know, like it's... you keep company with very cool people. <laughs> What's next for you in your
1: writing career? Hang on, I just need a bit more drink.
0: Pop the Blair's drinking Prosecco yeah. Anybody anybody that I'm aware, very classy.
1: Why not? I'm starting the launch early. <laughs> My career, God knows basically, I feel like I'm in a kind of time which is really exciting but also really scary as well because I just don't really know what's going to happen. Obviously the book's yeah. coming out, who knows you know where that's going to go been talking about maybe shopping it around for a film, which is- Ooh. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'll leave that one. Leave (laughs) that one. Yeah, I mean, that would be a bummer of a film, I think, but I mean, (laughs) I think they'd have to make it, there'd be interesting creative choices to be made that um, might involve focusing more on the adult Catherine, you know, Mm the daily life of the adult Catherine uh, maybe if you like that's so Raven do you remember when she's like oh single, like a vision that's a bad taste but I'm going to be handing in my PhD in July hopefully um nice. so I should get my PhD in the autumn and I'll be looking so the PhD is going to be two books kind of one nonfiction and one novel Called Canada, so I'll be looking to get those published. I think I'd lo- I'd like to carry on a, a research career. Mm. Um, I'd like to cross over into science more. It's a, it's a difficult. That's something I've been discussing with people recently. The difficulty of crossing between fields. Like everyone wants interdisciplinarity now, but they don't actually make it possible for, for you to. Use <laughs> So, I'm going to see. It. I'd love to work in a lab or, you know, as a creative consultant or theoretical consultant for scientific research. But yeah, it's all kind of up in the air. So, it's exciting, but strange. And there's just no financial security at all in any of the career paths that I've set my sights <laughs> on. Honestly, <So>,
2: same.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, even being an academic there's absolutely no security whatsoever so
0: fingers crossed
1: <laughs> buy the book
0: <laughs> yeah buy her book it'll be fine yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah but I'm excited I'm ho- I'm trying to like savour these days of the last days of my PhD because I probably won't get this time ever again to just write and not know where my life is going but yeah, we'll see. I'm hope, hoping for the best. missed yeah. you, I may consider moving to London. <laughs> I've changed my mind because
2: of this. <laughs> I think that's a viable
1: career choice.
2: You know, we don't hate. No, to be fair, yeah. like this time last year, I was fully set on moving to London,
0: mm. um,
2: and then I kind of like had a
1: realization that i was not leaving (laughs) i won't be forced to go nowhere (laughs) maybe we should um we should make more things happen here instead we should we We should should start i agree like a creative creative.
2: writing
1: drunk group in manchester but um when you guys were saying you wanted to a cafe i knew the
0: cafe was gonna come up i just (laughs) knew it was gonna come up
1: (laughs) it's this embarrassing you're gonna edit this
0: out no it's (laughs) just best trying to make me open a bookshop cafe in Blackpool I know I message Kate like
1: twice a day asking her to make a bookshop oh my god it's cute I mean maybe go in Manchester because then I don't have to travel to Blackpool's not the ideal location to be honest i love for you guys to make a cafe together it's really cute and it be cute thank you guys for all your support so far as well you've been super supportive of the book and
2: no
0: worries yeah, we've really enjoyed cool. shouting about it yeah we, we really 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 think it's really great and thank we you. think you've got lots of exciting things coming up I know you're scared but it'll be good
1: yeah <laughs> it's just a strange time it's like look there's loads of things that could happen you know I'm in talks of maybe setting up a postdoc at Salford still and so I just don't know where I'm going to end up you know. The thing with London was maybe some science research going on there in the different universities so it wasn't necessarily to be in London for London's sake but.
0: but (laughs) We're not going to bash you for moving to London. No, We'll (laughs) let you off. It's gone through both mine and Beth's brains for a long time. Yeah
1: well I suppose in this kind of book world it's it seems like the center i suppose that's why why you're wanting you know to talk about the emergence of northern writers
2: yeah it's true i think that's it kind of like ties in with our both ambitions to work in publishing or in some kind of book related job and leaving uni to the realisation that we had to move to London in order to make that happen Um, and obviously it is possible to be in the north and do that but it's so like the jobs are so few and far between that it's not a realistic like I can apply for this many jobs and then hope to get one of them like you're talking like 300 applications in and there's still nothing you know so yeah you kind of that's where our passion for it comes from anyway we want people to be able to yeah,
1: totally. live in the
2: north and enjoy books and maybe work <laughs> in books too you know
1: and <laughs> the north can read guys <laughs> we, can. we can read here
2: believe it or not we have literacy <laughs> yeah. thank you so much for coming on the podcast Blair it was really nice to have you and it was very interesting to hear about your new book we're very excited for it to be published and we wish you lots of luck on publication
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to chat to you both. And I hope the podcast keeps going well. And I love what you're doing. Thanks.